Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. You might have recognized uh, the song that they turned into that awesome instrumental. Um, The song is called Cornerstone. And it has lyrics in it to me that have always been captivating. But to me, the, 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 the lyrics that catch me the most in the song are when it says, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Something about those words always just grab me. Weak made strong. These past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the idea of how God makes us new. It's a transformative process that only, only he can do. It's something that he does in a way that we wouldn't typically do. And last week we talked about how God brings light out of darkness. You know, if I was God, I probably would have chose to just ignore the darkness and just make something light. But he doesn't do that. He, he brings it out of the darkness. He takes what's dark, what's difficult, what's bad, what's sinful, and he brings out of that something that's good, something of salvation And he does that in each of our lives and in our hearts. And that's an amazing work of God. And this week, I want to just wrap this up by us sharing a little bit on what it means to bring strength out of weakness, because that's another thing that God does. And he does this in the way that only he can do. Last couple of years, I think we've learned or we've had a pretty good refresher course on what it means to be weak at times, haven't we? It's been a tough couple of years. In fact, in 2020, as um, things with COVID and other things uh, really started to heat up, uh, the most read Bible verse, according to Christianity today, was, I'm going to save it for the end. Sorry, you got to wait. Isn't that the worst when that happens? We'll get back to it, though. We'll get back to it. There was, there was the most read verse, according to Christianity today, that, um, that people were reaching out for. And I think it reflects a little bit of, uh, of, of an understanding in us, especially when moments like 2020 hit, um, that is captured by another uh, element, sort of like this song, Cornerstone, or, or like that scripture verse, um, a, a movie that I particularly like, a movie series, it's based on a book series, it's called The Lord of the Rings, and you might be surprised, but you know, there's really not a whole lot of Lord of the Rings fans around here, so kind of surprised that I'm one. Uh, anybody who's been around here for a while knows what I'm talking about. You know, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis is all the rage around here. So when it comes to Lord of the Rings, um, I really appreciate Tolkien's works, but there's something about the movie that captures um, this character, Aragorn, who's a king, who is there to fight the battle against evil and ultimately free humanity from, from its descent, really, into chaos and weakness. And there's something about the movie that captures a little bit different element of him that I really, really appreciate, even, even above and beyond the books themselves that the movies are based on. And you see this in a moment where, when Aragorn is standing there trying to understand how he's going to conquer this growing evil that's spreading and just seeking to destroy the world of humanity. 
And he tells the one who would become his wife uh, eventually, he says to her, he says, I, I, I don't think I can do this because he's thinking about all the kings that came before him and all the ways that they failed. And he looks at her and with this broken look on his face, he says, the same blood runs in my veins, the same weakness. He recognizes something about himself that actually I believe is the key as to why he goes on and ends up conquering the evil. Because he's in this honest moment, he, he realizes a limitation. He realizes a need even beyond himself that is ultimately becomes so critical to his path. The definition of strength is the quality or state of being strong physically or otherwise, or the capacity of something to withstand considerable pressure. The word strength actually has roots in various words, and one of those is the word string. It's an old English word that actually comes from the word, we get the word string from it as well. And the reason it was based on that is because back in those days, ancient days when these words came about, somebody would string a bow, and it was the strength of that string that enabled that bow to be effective. And so that's where the word ultimately came from. Can it, can it withstand the pressure of being tight and tense? Whereas weakness is the state or condition of lacking strength. It's the complete opposite of strength. And so how is it that somebody who recognizes that they have weakness literally flowing within them is ever going to be strong enough to do what they need to do to conquer the evil? Or as one person put it, the Apostle Paul in Scripture, he puts it this way and recognizes this strange relationship between these two things. He says, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, he says, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What an interesting contrast. The only way to be strong, he says, is to lack strength? How does that work? It seems like ridiculousness, doesn't it? And, and I think it would be if we looked at it and we thought that there was just one party involved in this process. You know, if it was just him alone, then it makes sense. Because, I mean, if there's just a string, you know, the string's either weak or it's strong, right? It can either string a bow and handle the pressure or it's going to snap. And that's how it works. But what if we add another party involved into that? So it's not just one person, but we add another one in, we add another component, let's say, and, and this string that maybe even it's frail and small and thin and easily broken, but what if that string, let's say, is a fuse that's attached to the end of a stick of dynamite? Now suddenly that string is strong because one little spark will create immense power. And in fact, that's exactly what the apostle saying here. I pulled that analogy for a reason. Because what the word he uses when he says, when I am weak, then I am strong, the word strong from the original language that we translate into English, the word is dynatos. Dynatos. What other word do we get from dynatos? We get the word dynamite. 
from that word. And that's a word that's often applied when it comes to the spirit of Christ in scripture. He's dynamic. He's dynamite. He's power. And so when we connect to him, we're this frail, simple little string, but we become powerful, not because we're strong, we're easily snapped, but because of what we're connected to. And so that is what the apostle was saying, kind of reflecting that character, Aragorn. That is what we should tie into and understand that strength comes outside of us, that we ourselves are weak and we need to recognize that. That's the channel through which strength will come when we recognize that. But we don't often do that. And that's what I wanted to spend a little bit of time together today. What do we tend to consider as strength in this world, because those are the things that we need to check. What do we consider? Where do we find strength? I think a lot of times we think that strength is found in physical prowess, you know. Somebody's strong, if they're strong, muscular, you know, physical. They can handle a great load. That's a strong person, isn't it? And I guess, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing a little exercise and Eating healthy, you know, like we all did over the holidays, I'm sure. I did well in that department. Okay, we'll talk about that another time in a message on confession. We can, we can look to those things, but ultimately, is that where strength is found? Do you know, I, I, I give you one word that I think really put that in check, COVID. We can be strong, we can, we, can, we can lift the strongest things, we can feel so powerful, we, we glorify these things, whether it be sports people and, or whether it be uh, bodybuilding competitions and all of this human strength that we look to, and one little thing that we can't even see can prove just how weak we really are. We, we dealt with that, the whole world did, but even in this community, we dealt with that in the last couple of years, the tragedy of losing those who were, who were at one time sitting here with us and are no longer, or many of us who have walked through it and know just how weak you can feel when you deal with something so small. Paul himself said he had a thorn in his flesh, and while, while God doesn't will for these things, in a fallen world, we experience these things. He wants for something better, and he has greater plans, but he knows we're going to experience that, and sometimes he allows these things, as he did in the Apostle Paul's life, because of something that he needed to know. He needed to know that his strength was not in his strength, that his strength was in Christ. And so in the same way, we've experienced these things, and where does it cause us to turn to? Do we continue to look to ourselves and our physical strength, even if we make it through days like we've experienced these last couple of years, we're all getting older. We're all getting weaker. So what do we trust in? Or maybe we, when we think of strength, we, we think that strength is found in our mental fortitude. You know, it's, it's how smart we are, how intelligent, how clever. How, how, how well we can outthink or outmaneuver those around us or outprove, you know, what others, what others have. Is that where it's at? Well, I can tell you, we can have some fortitude like that, but at the end of the day, that fortitude is going to run out of energy. It's going to, those batteries are going to run down. Some, some point, some day, that's going to happen. I, I read a story recently that uh, uh, you know, electric cars are kind of becoming the rage now, and I, I get it. I mean, there's certainly a lot of promise there. I saw something recently the other week. Somebody showed me a video of a Maserati and one of the new electric cars lined up next to each other. The Maserati was given a quarter-mile head start, took off going, and then the, the electric car caught it and passed it before they got to the finish line. 
because it has so many less moving parts and all that to deal with. So it's very efficient. It really took off. So I, I get the, 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 uh, uh, you know, the strengths there. But in this one particular case, a police officer was driving one of the new electric cars on the fleet, chasing down a criminal who had taken off in his car and had to suspend his chase because the car literally ran out of battery right there. So he's driving and all of a sudden it just goes down from something that could beat a Maserati with a quarter mile head start to, to zero. And of course he called some other officers and they dealt with the situation and it resolved. But batteries don't last forever. Mental fortitude doesn't last forever. And there's days in which we might feel that we are just completely run down. You ever feel that way? Mentally and otherwise just tired? Just not sure if you can recharge the batteries again? Where do we turn in moments like that? Will you recharge you? You can try that for a while. But that's not going to last So where do we turn? Colossians chapter 1, speaking of sharing the gospel, I want to talk about it's difficult enough just to live in this world and 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 to pay bills and to take care of families and everything else we have to do, let alone representing and standing for your faith. You want to talk about something that will wear you down quickly. And yet this is what the apostle says in regards to that. He says, we proclaim him, that's Jesus, Warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, he says, striving with his strength. Did you catch that? With his strength that powerfully works in me. He's learned a secret of where to tap into. He knows where the battery source is. He knows where the the recharge station is. And and he's learned to tap in there because he knows on his own I'm going to get depleted. But if I turn to this source in prayer, if I turn to this source in the word, if I turn to this source in, in, in just spiritual connection and dependence, it will recharge me. He can do that. You know, without that stick of dynamite, that, that string can only stretch so far and then it's going to snap in two. You attach it to that thing, you've got explosive power. And that's what he's encouraging us to do. Strength found in physical strength? Is strength ultimately found in mental fortitude? Is strength ultimately found or measured by invulnerability? Now think about this, what I mean by that word. In this world, I do think we prize and see as strong anyone who we might see or interpret as being invulnerable. Do you understand what I mean by the word invulnerable? I mean somebody without a flaw. Somebody with, with, with no weakness, with, who never messes up. You know, the person who gets up in the morning and prays for four hours and reads scripture for another two, right? Solves all the problems at home, fixes everything that's broken, goes to work, dominates at work, never messes up. Everybody looks to them and follows them because they're fearless. And then they come home and they wrap it all up and they start it again at 4 a.m. the next morning. You don't do that either. You don't do that. I've never been there. I've never known what that looks like. And the reality is when we, when we either try to portray that picture of ourselves or we try to recognize that in another, we're, we're dealing in deception. We're just dealing in unreality. And there's no strength in any of that because God's strength is found in weakness. And so while we might make it look strong... Ultimately, everyone's getting weaker. We don't want to spend time doing that. Uh, uh, Bobby Fischer, does anybody know that name? Bobby Fischer, he was a famous chess champion who um, uh, won the world championships in 1975. 
He was an amazing player. He, he came up with new strategies on orthodox moves, and it was like he turned chess into a true art form. And then after 1975, the pressure of that world got him so much that he promptly disappeared. He just went off the scene. And nobody heard from him for years. At the time, he had played Boris Spassky uh, from the Soviet Union, who was, was one of the top players in the world. He won, and then he disappears. And he was gone for years, except for a couple of times he made an appearance. Nobody knew where he was or really what he was doing. He wasn't playing anymore. And then all of a sudden, in 2001, something interesting happened. People were playing a lot of online chess. Now, that was starting up. And this one individual, um, Nigel, who was, uh, Nigel Short, was a very, very good, like a master chess player. He was online playing games against people, dominating, dominating. And then some anonymous person signed on and started playing a game against him and did something nobody had ever seen before. In the fir- within the first couple moves of the game, he moved his king out to the second row. Now, if you know anything about chess, you don't have to know any other moves. All you need to know is this. You protect the king. You always keep the king back, and you keep it well surrounded because any time the king is exposed and the pieces from the, other, from the opponent has that king under threat and the king doesn't have anywhere to move, the game's over. Checkmate. You lost. So you protect the king. This individual, within the first few moves, moves the king out to the second row towards the opponent. The next move, he moves the king out again to the third row. The king is completely in front of all of the other pieces, totally vulnerable. Made no sense, except for the fact that he beat the snot out of the other guy. He pulled off an amazing victory against this master. And this guy started thinking, and right at the end of it, he decided to ask a question, and the truth seemed to come out when he sent a question over, you know, typed it and sent it over an instant message. He said, do you know Armando Acevedo? Now, that was an obscure player from, the t- from many years back. And he immediately got a response, Sejan 1970. That was the place in 1970 where Bobby Fischer had played this obscure player and won. And so this guy knew, I've got Bobby Fischer on the other end of this. He just played me anonymously and won. And then, of course, he promptly disappeared again. We, in chess, are the king on the board. We always try to protect and shield the king and make sure the king is impregnable and make sure the king is invulnerable. But a real master demonstrates strength through vulnerability. That's what Fisher did. Jesus was the king that came out to the third row. He left the safety of the invulnerable place. And he made himself vulnerable. And through that action, he wasn't defeated, though the enemy thought they had him in checkmate, but he actually gained the victory. This is how God works. It's what he encourages us to seek. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The apostle says, where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? You see, all the people that are the cream of the crop, all the ones that are on top, the smartest, the best, where does it leave them? God, he says, has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he's used this foolish preaching. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the cross. Foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. They want something powerful. You see, it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. They want something invulnerable and brilliant. But when we preach that Christ was crucified, Jews are offended, the Gentiles say it's an all nonsense. The whole world's rejecting it. They think it's stupid. But to those called by, to God, by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. God's way is the cross. God's way is vulnerability. But that vulnerability brings a strength that's stronger than any human strength. And he wants to develop the same character in who we are that we might be willing to be more vulnerable. I saw a show recently, and I'm seeing how the value system is just shifting. One individual in the show uh, wants to make amends with another one. Both of them are very well looked up to. They would be considered the practically invulnerable figures in the, in, in, the, in the drama. And the one wants to make amends because they're at odds. And he's going, rehearsing the conversation in his head before he calls on the phone. And he says, okay, uh, and he says his name. He says, you know, okay, I'm, I apologize. And he goes, wait a minute. No, I can't apologize. That shows weakness. And then he goes on. Why can't we apologize? What is so hard about the two words, I'm sorry? How often do we say them? We trying to be invulnerable? How often are we kind and we choose kind words instead of harsh words? How often are we willing to be deferential even though we know that that might mean that we get speared rather than doing the spearing? Are we willing to do that? Christ flips the script on values, you see. The, the one who's the strongest, the one who's the most intelligent, that's what we look for. The one who's the most well-informed, the most influential, that's the strong people, right? The most flawless, those are the strong ones. But the message of the cross centers on the person who is the most deferential. He was the most self-forfeiting. He was the most humble. He was the most giving. He was the most crucified. So what are we seeking to be in our lives? Strong? crucified is strength found in human power and establishments and progress does that represent real strength I gotta tell you I think we're, we're literally watching a world today consumed by power do you hear what I'm saying do you agree with me have you seen that at all we are watching a world consumed with power. I talked a little bit about that last week and how we've, got, we've lost our story by losing God and it's changing our ethic. And I've seen this increasingly. And it reminds me a lot of Orwell's 1984. I'm sure many of you know that story. But it's a story where, where a world is just eclipsed and every human establishment now is an establishment of power. And it's all about just ramming things through through power and gaining control through power. And you have this poor individual, Winston, he's just a run-of-the-mill average Joe who gets at one point literally forced by the establishment to have to agree that two plus two equals five. It's like one of the key moments in, in, in the novel and in, in the movie. You know, he's got to agree to that. Not because it's right, not because because it's true. That doesn't matter anymore. What matters is control. What matters is that power has gotten him to get in line because that's the ethic now. That's what the book says. And I don't think it's too far off today. And what kind of a scary world is that? It's said this way, capturing that two plus two equals five. Imagine a world of inhabitants, not a single one broken inside. Instead, their thought is to break one another. Think two plus two equals five. Where the issues aren't really the issue, the issue is now control where they'd rather dominate a sinking ship than serve on one that floats. And humility and brokenness, eclipsed by strength and pride, are labeled as poison and weakness by those who blindly ingest cyanide. Show me that world, and I'll tell you this, there's no one there truly to know. You found a world without people in it, for power has consumed their souls. We're being consumed by a power ethic today. 
labeled as progress, labeled as institutions and governments and corporations. In fact, it's not only ripping our souls apart, we're almost giving our souls over to it. Now, I'm not anti-technology, so I want to be clear on that. I think there's a lot of benefits to it like there is with just about anything in life. But we need to be careful how much we give our souls over to things. And so I want to share with you what somebody said recently about what's happening, in particular with the, the modern rise of what you would call the, 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 the tech giants, the social media giants, and what's happening. This one individual noted, first of all, that there's one particular social media company out there that has 3 billion active users. Now think about that. 3 billion active monthly users. China has 1.5 billion people in it. There's 2.3 billion roughly Christians in the world. 1.8 or so Muslims in the world. That gives you a frame of reference here. 3 billion active people on this platform engaging in it and consuming from it daily most of them many hours every single day. And one particular person uh, observed this. He said, these modern companies are seeking an exponential growth that is almost without precedent. Old-time companies have you know, always exploited somewhere, he says, but their exploitations were somewhat limited because they were you know, taking physical things, mineral resources, material things. But, but now these new companies are plundering consciousness itself, he says, for the resources of what you think. The power they seek is unlimited. They want to own your thoughts, your prayers, your time, your resources, maybe, shall we say, your soul, end quote. And he's not going too far when he says about owning your prayers. Listen to what there, there already some people are, have been grappling with. One person mentioned this in a, a recent article. He said, well, human beings come to consider that the machine is so powerful, he's meaning all the platforms we use, he's talking about. That the machine is so powerful, it is godlike and merits our worship. This issue has already raised its head, he says. A former Google engineer founded an AI-based church, he said. The deity in that church that's worshipped is not a god in the sense that it makes lightning and causes hurricanes or whatever they view God to be. But if there is something a billion times smarter than the smartest human, what else are you going to call it but God? This is being entertained in a world of power and progress and ability when that we see as strength, the ultimate achievement that a person can reach. And I tell you this, it's going to be a very poor God to serve. There was a CEO of technology many years ago before social media was even around that said this. They said, you know, we, we, we thought that all this stuff we've been creating, all these systems were going to give us more time. But all they've done is help us figure out how to jam more into the time we have. So is it bringing strength? Giving our souls in every available waking moment over to these things? Or is it bringing weakness and emptiness? It's a warning that that person said many years ago. And we're seeing people missing the warning today. Mark 10, Jesus said something interesting about the rulers and the authorities and the companies and the institutions of the world. And he said this, you observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, Jesus said. It's all about power. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you, he said. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. 
to give every last bit of ourselves to each other. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. Of course, he means to sin. He's saying, I don't want a world of rulers and strength. I want a world of servants. I want a world that understands weakness. That's what I want. When we say weakness, we're not talking about being a doormat. It's not what he means. It doesn't mean about standing up for what's right or, or, or good or protecting your inherent dignity. It's, all of those things can be done, but we're talking about a world that's not eclipsed by pride and considering things like humility and brokenness to be weak. That's the world we're moving towards. So is strength truly in all that progress? Is it coming up with the answer? Not according to what God seems to think of the situation. Or is strength in independence by being independent? Is that where we find strength? You need no one. You stand on your own two feet. You need nothing. I can accomplish it by myself. Is that strength? I think God gives us a clue, not just in the Word, but also in the book of nature. You know, we... I did this uh, yesterday with my daughter. We were hanging something in her room, and we, we were going to use a piece of twine to hang a, hang a picture, and I realized this twine's going to snap. It's probably not strong enough, so what did I do? Took a couple more pieces, roped them all together, bound them up. Now it's stronger, and we can hang it. They're stronger together, right? God has given us this in his word as well. He told, uh, anybody ever hear this verse before? Ecclesiastes chapter 4. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And by the way, when he says triple braided three, he's not talking about me, myself, and I. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about coming together and not needing to prove our independence, but rather being healthily dependent upon one another and looking to one another. Now, that has two sides to that coin. You ever hear the phrase, I got your back? I got your back? You ever hear that phrase? Well, are you somebody that can say that and follow through on it? If somebody's going to depend on you, if they're going to look to you, do you come through or do you tell someone you're going to be there and then you're not there when the time comes? It's important. That's our word. Are we going to be available to somebody who needs it? in their weak moment. But then we're also going to need it too. Do we recognize that we need that at times, that we're weak and we need to depend on others? Will we turn to each other? You know, Aragorn was in a battle for the world. It's not unlike what we're in today. There's a spiritual battle out there. There's an enemy out there. And believe it or not, that enemy, when you want to stand alone and try to go it alone, he can weaken you simply by making you stand there. You don't even have to fight. He can weaken you and knock you down by just standing there. Let me show you what I mean. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a man who survived the gulags of the Soviet Union, the camps there. And he said one of the methods that they would use against prisoners to break them down, he said there's a method of simply compelling a prisoner to stand there. This can be arranged so that the accused stands only while being interrogated because it exhausts and breaks a person down. They set a watch over them. The guards see to it that the person doesn't lean against a wall or go to sleep. If he does, they give him a kick, straighten him back up. And then he says, sometimes even one day of standing is enough to deprive a person of all his strength and to force him to testify to anything at all. You can be broken down by Satan 
the messenger of Satan we read about at the beginning. You can be broken down simply by trying to stand alone. That's all it takes. And you might be thinking right now, wait a minute, I thought there was a verse in Scripture that says that's exactly what we're supposed to do. But we missed something with it. So let's, let's talk about it as we're wrapping up here. Ephesians chapter 6. Apostle tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord. Don't miss that. In the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. But you know what we miss with that? That word you and that word your, it's not obvious when we read it. But that's actually in the plural. When we look back again at the original language God gave it, gave it to us in, it's plural. It's, it's basically if Paul came from the south, the way he'd be saying it is, so that y'all can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Y'all together. Because honestly, how many, how many armies suit up a soldier in armor and send them out by themselves to fight against the enemy? How many armies do this? How long is that soldier going to last? I don't care how good the armor is. We're not going to last long against the enemy and against the ways of this world if we think we're strong enough to stand alone. What he was saying here, and if you read the book of Ephesians, you'll see the whole book is about how the church is unified in love. The church comes together, built upon Christ. We're meant to be interconnected, and it's that strength together that we put on our armor and stand shoulder to shoulder. And strength is in the dependence not the independence. There was a friend recently that sent me a message. They had, had to get into a new job situation and they were overwhelmed. And I think they made this point pretty well. They said, I had a lot of fear and anxiety thinking I made a huge mistake. I, I couldn't sleep. I didn't want to eat. They thought this step into this new job was just falling apart. They were alone. He said, but I had some hard talking with God. I realized I wasn't trusting, so I was trying to control everything on my own. I was trying to be strong, alone. I couldn't do it, so I had to verbally repeat, ask God to take the fear and anxiety away. Couldn't do it on my own. I needed him. He became weak, and he gave me peace. I got some much-needed perspective on the whole thing. Peace came flooding in, he said. I can see a glimpse into the future now, and there's a good, it's a good one. Surprise, God knew what he was doing. So God brought him strength through his weakness, but then he said, and he added this final thing, and also my wife, my family, my fellow believers in church, they helped me to realize how the only way I was going to make it work was by learning to let go. You see, he had soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder with him. And they were strong together. You know, Aragorn, the scene that captures me the most probably in the whole movie series is when he's finally standing in that final battle to take out the enemy. He knows he's weak. He's believed the whole time he can't do it. And you know what? He was right. He couldn't do it, not alone. But as he stood there, and the enemy began to call to him and tempt him to join. He almost left. He almost went to join the other side. You see him drawn that way. And then he stops. And you see him turn around, and with a tear in his eye, he looks back at the group, and he says, for Frodo. And he charges in to fight the enemy. You see, Frodo was the one who took the ring of power, the evil thing that was going to destroy all of humanity. And through his sacrifice, he went to destroy it forever. And Aragorn was charging in to just give him that time to go do it. He was so inspired by Frodo 
that together they became stronger. His strength was found in Frodo's sacrifice, and Frodo's in his. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. He's the one that's going to take down the enemy. Make no mistake, we don't have enough strength to do it. We don't. But he also calls us to stand together, and it's through inspiration of one another that we find strength. It's in our dependence upon one another that we find strength, not in ourselves. What, what is strength? What is it? Is it, is it physical strength? Is it, is, it, is it mental fortitude? Is it human power and institutions that prove themselves so strong and mighty? Is it any of these things? Is it independence? The only one who has strength in himself is the very one who became weak. And he went to a cross. And as he weakly died in body and in mind and everything else as it broke down there, in that very moment, he had the strength to bear up the sins of the world on his shoulders. That's the one that can help us. What's your weakness today? What is it you're struggling with? What strength do you need? Or what false strength are you bound by? Today, he can lift you up on his shoulders and give you the help that you need, that I need, if we'll turn to him. If we'll turn to him. I didn't forget, I still owe you a verse. 2020, the most sought verse of that year. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Father, we still need that truth this year. We need it in the years to come. We need it all the days, Lord, that we're here. So God, may we just be honest and come to you in our weakness and come together, God, that together we might be stronger. But it's in you, Lord, that we find strength. For you alone bring strength out of weakness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And as we go away today, the church said,